All right. Hello, home team. Good to see you. And uh, whether you've been around a long time, it's your first time, uh, we're all in it now, right? And, uh, and really glad you're here. I want to say hi uh, to everybody at Legacy as well as our other campuses. So everybody online right now, our Sloan Creek, Richardson, Woodbridge campus in Espanol. Uh, today, we are starting a, a new series, and it's, a, it's one I think will be really significant. So it's one of those series to say, hey, let's just show up each week open to what God wants for us, because we're talking about how to make the most important relationships in our lives uh, significantly better. And as part of this experience, we've got the sermon series, but also uh, keep in mind, and I know you just heard about it, the Family Now Conference in September uh, on that Saturday. Uh, They put a lot of effort into that. There's some great speakers and be great content. Uh, Christy and I, I know, are looking forward just being civilians, uh, me not having to be on stage just to be able to to just work on our marriage and work on our relationships as as people, as spouses, as parents. And so uh, whatever status you are, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a really significant time. So today we're kicking off the experience uh, talking for this this week and next week. We're going romantic. Y'all feeling romantic today? I hope you are. Yeah, way more than Friday night, I will say that. So that's good. That's really good. It's early in the morning even. You're already feeling romantic. I like it. So uh, we're going to talk about romantic relationships, including kind of the ultimate romantic relationship, and that's something called marriage. Uh, and and we're going we're gonna to take a fresh look at leading up to that and take a fresh look at that, uh, because uh, in our culture, it's, there's a lot of you know, interesting thoughts about it. And, it, and to help us get into that, I, I want to share with you my latest obsession. It's not marriage. Uh, my latest obsession is about, uh, is, is, it's related to skiing. Um, I love to snow ski. I'm looking forward to, I mean, it's tough and 101 degree days to think about that. But uh, I'm looking forward to another season. And my goal last year was to learn how to powder ski, you know, deep powder. And uh, in and I, I was able to learn a little bit of that, so that was good. And so now I have a new goal, uh, and I, and for my two sons and I to, uh, to go heli skiing in Alaska, helicopter skiing, and it's just, it's an amazing thing. We're, I'm two or three years away from being able to pull that off, but I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I want to give you a little flavor of why it's so exciting. So let's watch the screens. All right. So you're going to have one or two reactions looking at that, right? Uh, one of them is, that is awesome. I've got to figure out how to make that happen. I've got to figure out how to do that. That's my reaction when I see that. And, uh, and then there's another reaction, which maybe is a little more common. And that is, what kind of moron would want to do that? Like, <laughs> you're not going to survive that. Like, why would you want to do that? I guess those of you who want another pastor at Chase Oaks would be like, yeah, do it. You know, don't go. You know, but right. You're looking at it and think, wow, who would want to do that? Like, why would you choose to do that? It's crazy. Well, as we look at marriage, you can have the same two responses, right? 
Because you, you look at marriage like this commitment. You, I mean, you say, I'm going to commit the rest of my life to you, no matter what, for better or for worse. And you either look at that commitment, that arrangement, that marriage and say, wow, that's amazing. I got to figure out how to get into that. And I got to figure out how to make that work. Or you look at that and say, what kind of moron would want to do that? Like, really? And, uh, and, and you can understand really why in our culture, there's, there's actually a tipping point. It just happened about a year ago in our culture where there are more uh, adults who were saying no thanks to marriage over those who were saying, yeah, I want that for the first time in our history. And you can kind of understand why, especially at first glance with marriage, because it is kind of crazy where, you know, you have these two people who stand up in front of their friends and family and they make this promise, this vow. And, and for those who are Christians, it's a God thing, like a vow before God to say, you know what? I'm going to commit the rest of my life to you for better or for worse. And the thing is, at that point, with the whole rest of life in front of you, you have no idea what that means. Right. I mean, all you've had a taste of so far is probably the better. You don't know how worse can be yet. You don't know how annoying the other person can be. Um, you don't know how disappointing the other person might be. You don't know how you're going to change over time, how your life circumstances are going to change over time. You don't know what better is. You don't know what worse is. But you make this commitment. And, and not only that, you know, with all the stuff you don't know, the odds aren't exactly in your favor. You know, 50 percent of people who stand up there and say, I do for better, for worse, man, we're in for the rest of our life. 50% of those marriages won't still be married in 15 years. I mean, it's kind of like picture going helicopter skiing and they get you at the top of that run. And before you go down, they say, oh, we just thought you might want to know that half of you are not going to survive this. You know, <laughs> half of you will die, but half of you will have a great time. You're like, really? I mean, I'd be like, so what's the refund policy again? I, I don't I don't know if I read that, you know, fine print stuff. Um, who would want to do that? It's a fair question. It's a good question. And therefore, even when we look at it, like we've got to think, yeah, you know, I, I got to, you know, it's worth it to take a fresh look at that. And so so today we're going to do that and we're going to say, OK, what is it? Uh, what is this thing called marriage for this week and next? Like, like what is this? And, and we're going to start by saying, well, why? Like, why? Why is this even a thing? Like, why would we want to consider this? Why would we want to do that? And, and then we'll say, OK, then if you're going to do that, then what are the implications if you're not married? And what are the implications if you are married? And so we're going to do that starting out by going to the book of Genesis in, in the very first chapter. And really, we're going to focus on this for two weeks. But um, in the book of Genesis, the, that's where marriage starts. So God is the one who invented this crazy relationship up. And, and it goes back, you know, in the days of creation, God's creating everything. And at the end of each creation day, he looks at what he's created and he says, oh, this is good. Like, think of the day that he made puppies. You know, he'd be like, oh, man, that's so good. You know, that's good. And then and then when he made Adam, evidently he was more excited than even puppies because he doesn't just say good. He says this is very good. He adds an emphatic to it. Very good. But then he realizes there's something as he creates this human, Adam, that's not good. And what's not good is there's only one. And he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. That Adam is cool, but on his own, this is not good, right? Because as humans, we're created for connection. And so right away, he creates Eve, the first woman. Adam likes what he sees. Well, you know, I guess she does too. 
and they, uh, they're, you know, they're a thing, they're a couple. And right away, what happens? They hook up. No, that's not what happens. Uh, right away, God invents this relationship and it's this relationship called marriage. And here's what it says. Just a couple verses later. This is why, or that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We're, that's what marriage is. And we're going to be diving into that, especially next week, to say, well, what does this mean? What is this commitment really? What does it mean to become one flesh? But notice, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. So our question is, okay, that's what marriage is. God made this up. But why would anybody do that? Well, notice. Well, that is why, right? So let's keep going. Jesus adds to it when he, when he uh, talks about it later. He quotes Genesis when asked about marriage, the passage we just read. And then he adds... What God has joined together, let no man separate. Meaning at the heart of this relationship is a God commitment, is a God vow. It's, it's not just us committing to each other. This is something that God joins together when we stand before him and make this. So it's a, it's a big deal. And as we've been talking about, okay, if it's that serious, if it's that significant of a thing, then why, why, why? Why would we do it? Again, the passage, he starts out, that is why. So what is why? We'll go back to the verse we started with. Why? Because it is not good for the man to be alone. Why did God make up this relationship called marriage? Here's why. Because you and I as human beings are created for committed, lasting relationships. And it's the only way you and I will flourish in life. It doesn't mean that we have to get married to experience that kind of relationship. Like Jesus, you can be single, have committed relationships and friendships and church and all that. And that's, and, and that's important to understand. But marriage is one of those key committed uh, relationships that God designs because it is not good for the man to be alone. And so let's think about this thing called marriage a little bit and why. And, and you know, it's interesting. I read, some, I read a bunch of studies, you know, for this message. And for some of you, you know, you, the Bible is good enough. And you think, okay, if God says it in the Bible, that's great. But, of course, it's true. So that means when people study stuff about human beings, it's going to be reflected in that. And now we have all these studies. And so you don't even have to take the Bible's word for it. Um, the, one of those studies is called the Grant Study. It's the largest human development study in history. Harvard did it. They started in 1938, and they followed almost 300 people, 286 people, for 75 years. From teenage all the way till, you know, they're not around anymore. And to see, and their question was, what is the key to human flourishing? What is the key to satisfaction in life, to happiness in life? And, and they followed these people, and they didn't just follow them loosely. It was a very involved study. So they did a regular brain scans, a constant interviews, with not just with them, but with people who they knew, with their family, with people who were close to them. They did career studies. They did uh, medical studies and, and medical uh, exams and had all access to everybody's medical records. I mean, every, this was a you know, huge study. They had hundreds of thousands of pages of data. And you know what, they, what their summary was in terms of what makes a, a successful or rather happy, fulfilled life? It's interesting what it wasn't. It wasn't about wealth. It wasn't about career achievement. It wasn't even about doing good and making a difference in the world, even though you think, well, yeah, that's part. And those are all good things. But what they concluded was this, that what, the, what was the key to happiness versus those who weren't was basically lasting relationships. Here's the way one of those guys, uh, he was uh, 
Dr. George Vallant was in charge of this study for decades, and he summarized it this way. There are two pillars of happiness. One is love. The other is finding a way of coping with life that does not push love away. Meaning it's the ability to love and over a long period of time be loved without pushing other people away. In other words, it is not good for man to be alone. That you and I are created for committed, lasting relationships. Marriage is not the only one. So it's not like you have to be married to experience committed, lasting relationships. And as a church, we try to work hard to facilitate those in our groups and in our friendships. And we need to continue to do better at that. But when it comes, you know, today we're getting romantic. You feeling it? Um, When it comes to romance, like that's where it's destined. That's what God wants us to experience once we start going down that trail is this lasting, committed relationship called marriage. And at the very heart of marriage is that idea of commitment. Is that, is that vow, is that promise that says, for better or for worse, we're going to figure it out. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Like, we're going we're to work this out together, and we're going to build something. And it's that commitment that makes marriage unique of all other romantic relationships, that, make, that separates it from hooking up, that separates it from Netflix and chill, that separates it from uh, just, you know, maybe you get more serious than that and say, well, let's live together until we don't want to live together anymore. Uh, marriage is built around this commitment, and, and it's actually what makes it work. It's, it's that commitment, that promise that creates the kind of safety that authentic intimacy demands. It produces the tenacity it takes to learn to not hide, to work through conflict, to become less annoying, to become more mature, to learn to love like Jesus loves. At the heart of marriage is that promise. It's what makes it work. But there's a lot of implications to that. And so what we're going to do over the next two weeks is two weeks is talk about this, because this commitment is not just I'm going to be with you. I'm we're going to stay together no matter what. That's really not the commitment. That's part of it. But the commitment is actually to build something. And so next week we're going to dive in to the passage deeper to say, OK, then what is this? How do you build oneness? That's the commitment. How do you do that? How does that work? So for those who've said I do, or when you want to say I do in the future, well, what are you saying I do too? Today, we're going to talk about the implication of that before you say I do. That if you, if it's really built around this kind of commitment, then you and I better choose well. If we're going to link up with somebody for life, it's a good idea to choose well. Because as Neil Warren says, who Neil Warren you may have uh, know about, he's a clinical psychologist and author. He's the one that started eHarmony, the first online dating thing. And he says this in one of his books. It's actually a really good book if you're single and and dating. He says, your choice of who to marry is more crucial than everything else combined you will ever do to make your marriage succeed. And what he argues in the book is that most people blow it from the beginning. That The reason that the marriages don't work so often is, is often right at the beginning when you choose badly. And it's easy to choose badly. It's a little bit trickier to choose well, and we want to choose well. So today, we're going to talk about, for a few minutes, how do we choose well, right? And, and, and from a biblical perspective, and for those of you who are single, for those of you who are dating or single again or dating again, perk up, because you will be your own best friend if you listen to what God says about this part of life. And so let's talk about how to choose. And first, we're going to talk about how to choose badly. If you want to really blow it, uh, if you want to become one of those statistics then it's easy to do, and I'm going to tell you how to choose badly. All right, so here's the first, first way to choose badly, is rely on feelings. Um, I don't know how many times I hear people tell single people, 
uh, oh, don't worry about it. You'll find the right person one day. And when you do, you'll just know. And that's bad advice. Because really what they're saying is you'll know, you'll just feel it. So just go with your feelings. And here's why that's bad advice. The Bible tells us this about our feelings, that the heart, our feelings, the heart is deceitful above all things. Is that what you want to rely on? You know, and uh, especially in romance, you know, you just get all infatuated with somebody and you, you all you can see is, you know, hearts, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and you can make it's not that that's unimportant, but that's a bad basis for decision. So another one. And this one is a big deal right now in our culture. And that is have sex early, have sex too early in the relationship. Now, you and I live and therefore have grown up and it just, you know, kind of the way we grow up thinking we live in a culture with a very casual attitude about sex. So, hey, sex is just two people. As long as it's consensual, I mean, hey, do what you want. It's your body, like, who don't, you know, nobody can tell you what to do. Like you, I mean, it's just a thing, right? You're just two bodies connecting together and just have fun, do what you want, right? A very casual attitude about sex. So, so much so that dating is kind of gone. And now it's, you know, I mentioned hooking up earlier. Hooking up is just saying, meeting somebody, having sex right away, and then see where the relationship goes from there. And that's kind of the norm now, right? Just our culture. And, and, uh, and that may seem normal, right? Because that's our culture. And say, yeah, that works. I mean, why not? What's a, it's a really, actually, from a biblical perspective, in God's perspective, it's a really bad idea. It's a really bad plan. And I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible points us to and why. And it's, what the Bible points us to seems a little nuts from our cultural perspective because the Bible, what it's going to say is, look, um, sex is actually not casual. It's, it's way more profound than that. And it's designed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage and this commitment relationship, like after marriage, after the marriage commitment, not before the marriage commitment. And when you, when you move it to before, you actually, uh, because it's so dif- profound, you actually, it's really easy to make big mistakes in the relationship and it actually causes harm. And so I don't expect you to buy that right away. So let's talk about it because here's what, here's what Paul says about it to the Corinthians. Now, he was writing to people 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire that had a way more casual attitude about sex than we do in our American culture now. And he said, flee from sexual immorality, which is just from biblical perspective, sex outside the marriage commitment. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He's saying sexual sin is unique because it, it hurts us. Like, like when you make that decision, you actually harm yourself in some significant ways. And he goes on to talk about why in first Corinthians, I don't have time to dive into all of it, but what he basically says is that sex is not casual. Sex is actually designed by God to be a really profound bond between two people. And it's not just two bodies connecting together. It's actually two souls merging together. It's two souls connecting together that it's way more. It's just way deeper than we think. Um, and, and now we have, it's, it's really cool because with medical research and all that, you can see how God has designed us, even how God has designed our bodies uh, to work that way. And, and medical researchers have found this just fairly recently. And that is when two people have sex, something happens in our body and uh, what, a lot happens in our body. But uh, God uh, has made it where there's these hormones that are that are released and it's the same hormones that are released when a new when a new mom breastfeeds her newborn baby. 
And the way God's designed that is when a new mom breastfeeds her newborn baby, there's these hormones that are released that forms this powerful connection. Well, what they found is when two people have sex together, those same exact hormones are released that forms this same kind of powerful connection. It's the way God's designed it. And all God is saying, it's not like you better do this or else. God's just saying, don't hurt yourself. Like there's a reason God wants this part of life to be really, really good. And God has designed sex to be way more powerful, way more profound. And therefore, if you treat it casually, you're going to make some mistakes. And, and, and part of it is uh, because of that connection, when we're talking about leading up to marriage, when you put it on the wrong side of marriage and you introduce sex early in a relationship, then because of the way God designed it, you and I connect with somebody. We feel deeply connected at a soul level somebody, with somebody and we don't even know them. But we feel really connected. Before we actually even know who they are. And you can see how, man, that could lead to some really bad decisions about who I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Right. Because I've now connected with somebody at a deep level. We don't even know each other as opposed to the way God said, you know, just, hey, build time before the marriage commitment. Get to know each other and then decide if you want to commit. And then sex is a very powerful part of that commitment. Also, because the way we're wired and sex is so profound that, as Paul says, we just hurt ourselves when we sleep around with different people. Because, again, it's not just body connections. It's, it's soul connections. And it's why uh, they've done uh, just, I know I'm telling a lot of studies today. Uh, and there's another one from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, this uh, professor did this study of hundreds of college students all across the country at all these different colleges. And the study was about college students and sex. So she interviewed hundreds of people or that they, the study interviewed hundreds of people. And for one thing, they asked the question, how many of you, and these were hundreds of people, how many of you uh, believe that that would say that your peers, your friends in college have a very casual attitude about sex? 100%. All of them said, yes, absolutely. And then they asked, how many of you think that was, how, how many of you think that you and your friends have a too casual attitude about sex. Thirty six percent said, you know what? I think we're too casual, which is pretty interesting to me that one third would say that. And then they singled out those. Hey, if you've hooked up with different people. Um, talk about that a little bit. How did that make you feel? Now, nobody said awesome. Uh, the best word was fine. And a number of people said, yeah, whatever, fine. But 41% use words like this, profoundly unhappy, disrespected, sad, abused. Why? Because it's just way more profound. Sex is way more profound than we treat it. And if you treat it casually, it it just becomes over time, especially it just hurts. It's a harmful thing. They also found that that people, college students who'd slept around with different people were 11 times more likely to experience severe clinical depression than those who uh, were not sexually active. Eleven times more likely. Why? Because it's just more profound. And all that to say, and this is not, a, it's just God didn't design it to be a casual thing. And therefore, if you want to choose badly, one way to do that is introduce sex early in the relationship, feel connected with somebody you don't know, and then make a major life decision. That's, it's just not a good plan. Another way to make a really bad decision is convince yourself you can change the other person. And as Christians, we're the biggest suckers for this in the world because we know God can change people, right? He's changing us. And we're like, oh, you don't want to give up on anybody, right? Which is a wonderful, you know, trait. 
to think, oh, I don't want to give up on anybody. I can change anybody. I want to give second chances and 200 in second chances. And right, you just want to do that. And that's awesome. That's great. It's really good. It's just bad when you try to bring it into who you're going to marry. Because the truth is, yeah, God can change anybody, but you can't. And you don't know if they'll open up their life to God or not. And if we're just think about it this way, if you're dating somebody and there's some major like concerns in their character or the way they relate, like maybe they're unfaithful, maybe they're dishonest, maybe they're mean, maybe they're sometimes maybe they're abusive. Maybe they have real anger issues that they haven't worked through. Maybe they have bitterness issues. Maybe they're lazy, uh, whatever it is. If you want to live with that the rest of your life, go for it. I mean, really, if that's, you know, go for it. Because just getting married is not going to change that. I mean, God could change them. Sure, he could change them. But it's a big risk to say, I'm going to assume they are going to change. And so one way to really blow it is convince yourself you can change the other person. Because you can't. Another way to really blow it is to ignore wise people. And, and what I mean there is, is in, the, in the Bible, it actually talks about this a lot in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon, who wrote... Uh, most of the Proverbs says, you know, if multiple times, wise people listen to wise people, wise people listen to correction, foolish people poo poo it or spurn it. And if you are dating someone or seeing someone or interested in someone and the most in the people that you've always admired the most in your life is having being wise people, if they're throwing up red flags, you need to listen. Because, again, our own feelings, our own heart is the thing that's deceitful above all else, not the wise people in our life. And so and we all need that to say, hey, OK, if you see something, I at least need to listen to that. It's easy to choose badly, right? All you got to do is rely on feelings, have sex early, convince yourself you can change the other person, ignore wise people and, you know, go for it. The bad plan. But we don't want to do that, right? We want to do better. And so how do you choose well? How do you choose wisely? And the first thing I'd say there is know what you're looking for. I mean, have criterion in your mind that, you, you know, I mean, you would do that if you're getting a new house, if you're getting a new apartment, if you're getting a new job, if you're getting a new car, like you have these criterion that you want. And certainly, we, you know, why wouldn't we do that in marriage? And you probably do, right? You probably have, if you're single and looking and thinking about that and interested in that, you probably have an idea of the kind of person that you'd love to marry one day, that you'd love to date or you'd love to be with. Um, but I'm going to give you two qualities to add to your list. Uh, some of the other ones, the color of their eyes or hair or whatever, that's negotiable. But these, I would say, man, these, these aren't negotiable. Like, especially if you're a Jesus follower, because the first one is this. If you're a Jesus follower, they need to be a Jesus follower. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower at this point, and a lot of people in our church aren't, you know, kicking the tires of Christianity, you get a pass on this one. But if you are a Jesus follower, think about it. Doesn't it make sense that if you're following Jesus and it means you're going to you know, go where he's going, that you're going to link up with somebody who's committed to the same path. And that's why Paul, to writing to the Corinthians, like we looked at before in another passage, he says, don't be unequally yoked, meaning don't hitch up with somebody who's not going the same direction. And a yoke is a farming thing where, you know, the oxen pulling uh, pulling the plow and the two oxen are there and they have this, you know, yoke on this wood thing. And, and Paul uses that image to say, why would you, if you're, I know you're not an oxen, 
But why would you choose to link up with somebody? Think about two oxen going together. They really are going to have a hard time going two different directions, right? If you're linked up like this by your neck. And if one oxen says, I want to do this, and one oxen says, no, I want to go that way, it's going to be kind of miserable. Better for, you know, link up with somebody who says, no, we're going we're gonna to go the same direction. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's the most important commitment in life, right? It's, it's who we are. A lot of times people say, well, opposites attract. And, what mar- and there's some, you know, some of that's true with personalities and all that. But marriage researchers have shown, no, actually, the more things you have in common, the better. Especially the most important part of your life, the biggest commitment of your life. Now, I know some of you are, and I know you, like your friends of mine at church and, uh, and that are in mixed faith marriages. Like, you know, one's a Christ follower, one's not, one's something else or nothing and, and all that. And, and there's a way to handle that situation really well. And, some, and I know some of you who handle it super well. In fact, the reason I know uh, both couples is, and I think this is really cool, is the non-believing spouse comes um, to support the one who is a Jesus follower and is here to do that. And, and, and I know and the ones I know are being like, man, I get stuff out of it too, whether I don't, I don't have all the Jesus stuff, but I, you know, it's always helpful and I, I appreciate it, but still they're there, to, which I think is super cool. And their Christian spouse supports them too. And I think that's awesome. And there's a way that's how to handle it. Well, but even them, some of them, I know pretty well. I know if I'd go to them and say, Hey, what would you tell your kids? They would say, Hey, look, we we're you know we kind of make it work as best we can, but I would tell my kids, choose somebody with the same faith commitment you have. And so that should be on the list, right? A Jesus follower, also somebody who's mature enough to marry. All right, and that goes back to the don't change. You know, you're not going to change people. Uh, when I was on study break, I was um, I, I was at a hotel, uh, just me and Chewy, my dog. Uh, for a week doing, you know, studying and, um, and he was getting a little bored. I could tell cause I was just at the desk studying. So I, I put on my noise canceling headphones and turned animal planet on for him, uh, in the, on the TV so he could watch the, and a lot of those shows are about game wardens and stuff. I didn't realize that. Um, you know, going, I don't think he was that interested in this, but he, you know, going to, uh, people who were fishing or hunting and, and they would go and they would have a, like a tape measure, right? And they'd say, Hey, this kind of fish needs to be 14 inches, you know, and yours are like three and you know, you're in trouble and all that. And, uh, and what are you supposed to do if they're too small? You throw them back. And some of you are dating people that <laughs> may be wonderful one day. Really, they may be wonderful, but they're not now. They're just not ready for that now. And what do you need to do? You need to throw them back and let them grow up. And who knows? You may catch them again. You may not. But it's, it's a whole lot better than to roll the dice on, on this kind of stuff. So mature enough to marry. How to choose wisely. First half criterion. Secondly, become the person that you're looking for is looking for. Now, my assistant, Lynn, is awesome. And we hired her. Uh, she was just a normal church person. We hired her uh, she, to to work with me, uh, pray for her, and uh, and she was an English teacher, and for years. So she was she takes my manuscripts and makes the slides, and so she was like, so explain to me what you're trying to communicate here, <laughs> but uh, from an English you know perspective. But but come just think about it. Become the person that you're looking for is looking for. The, the best way to find the right person 
is to become the right person. Because if you're not the right kind of person, you're not going to attract the right kind of person. A lot of times you'll think, well, yeah, I, I would love to meet somebody like that, 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 and I'm just going to find them. And you're not just going to find them. The only way you'll attract that kind of person is if you become that kind of person. And therefore, the most important pursuit is to become that kind of person. Because think about it. Somewhere out there, there, there is the right kind of person. And they're praying to meet whom? The right kind of person. And if you're not the right kind of person, they're not praying for you. In fact, they're praying that God will keep them away from you. Right? I mean, they are. And so, therefore, the most important thing is to become the kind of person that you want to be with. And you, you can't lose that way. Right? Because you'll just grow and be mature and be more like Jesus and serve him whether you ever get married or not. Like, I mean, you know, that's a good thing. And if you, but you're way more likely to attract the kind of person that um, if you become that kind of person. And, and, and that means some of you, especially if you're new to Jesus... And you're kind of in the, been in the, you know, just our typical world of, of sexuality and been pretty casual about it. Um, I, I get that. I mean, that's our culture. I think it's a really good idea to take a time out and just say, you know what? I'm going to take a year off from all that because I don't want to go back into the same patterns and just focus on my relationship with Jesus. I mean, get in established, get in a group, begin to serve, dig your roots underneath you. And then when you get back into that world, you, you have something underneath you. You have a you, you can you're not just going to go back to old patterns. You're going to establish a new pattern. And the last thing I'd say on choosing wisely is give it time. Uh, give it time because relationships take time to develop and it takes time. The only way you'll know somebody's character, know who they really are, is time. Right. And, and people rush into marriage too quickly. It's easy to make a bad mistake. Right. You can see that because all you really know is the Instagram version of each other. Which is pretty awesome. But to get underneath the Instagram version of each other where we put our best foot forward, it, it takes time. Uh, even to work through trouble in relationships and work through conflict, that, that's part of it. That, that's part of the thing. And essentially what, what I'm talking about is this concept. This is kind of like talking about dinosaurs because it's pretty much an extinct concept now. Um, if you're the younger you are, it's this concept called dating. You heard about it? Dating. Um, we used to do this. I mean, now it's kind of a hookup culture. So you meet somebody, you sleep with them, and then, you know, kind of see where it goes. Um, dating is where you make, is just really different. Dating, the idea of dating is doing things together that don't involve that and where you get to know each other. And, uh, and from a biblical perspective, really what you're saying is, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to push sex to the person I'm going to marry, like marriage commitment. I'm going to do that for a second. So dating is not about that. It's about actually getting to know each other to see if this is the kind of person or if this is the person I want to commit my life to. And it's interesting in that Notre Dame study talked about they she asked people, she asked college students, hey, what would you what would you like? Like if you're going to change this part of life, what would you change? And the most common response she got was, I wish dating would come back and be a thing. Like where it wasn't just about sex, but where you actually were able to talk for hours and get to know each other and take long walks together and go out to dinner and connect with each other and that way and, and ride bikes together. and just connect. I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about. And it's just really wise to do that. Um, sometimes, you know, people want to get married. And I'm always nervous when they say something like, oh, you know what? We're just so in sync. We've never disagreed about anything. 
and be like, oh boy, you know, you, yeah, you're not ready. Like, you, yeah, it hadn't been enough time, right? Because you don't know how the other person's going to handle that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, all that to say, give it time. It's not something to, there's no reason to rush into it. I mean, some of you maybe have been dating for 20 years and okay, maybe, you know, I need to push you, but that's usually not the problem. So you put all this together, how to choose wisely. We'll know what you're looking for. Become the person you're looking for is looking for and give it time. And I think, I think all of us would say, whether you're married or not, man, that's, that's wise. Because it's hard to argue with the point of Neil Warren's book and kind of the point of this talk. Is that your choice of who to marry is more crucial than everything else combined you will ever do to make your marriage succeed. And if you're single or you're dating right now, man, let me encourage you to be your own best friend and, and just listen to biblical wisdom. And some of you may have some really hard choices to make about how you live this area of life. And I, I encourage you to submit your life to God's wisdom. And some of you may be dating somebody you'd be like, you know what? I, I've got some hard decisions to make. This is not the person or the kind of person. Or I'm not the kind of person. Yeah, I'm not ready for this yet. And just to be honest with that. But then for those who are married, and there's a lot of you in the room who are married right now. And if you are married and you look at a quote like this, some of you are thinking, ah, <laughs> I wish I would have seen that, you know, I wish I would have thought about that, you know, and, and if you're feeling that way, I have a, I have a quote for the day for you and it's very simple. It's a word for the day. Oops. And, uh, <laughs> um, and if right now you're feeling oops, uh, I get that, you know, it, it happens. Um, and, uh, but here's the thing. I mean, sometimes there are legitimate oops where you have to make even maybe, Hard decisions about do we stay married or not. Even biblically, there's even though it's a God vow and it's a permanent one and it's a committed one. If you're if you made the kind of oops where you realize this person is is uh, sexually just unfaithful. If they're abusive, things like that, you you need to talk to somebody, you need to talk to a pastor or somebody to say either some's got to change or I'm out. The Bible does give some exit, you know, clauses or whatever to even do that commitment. Most of the time, the oops in marriage are not about that. Most of the time, you realize, oh, wow, I didn't know this person wouldn't, you know, put their underwear in the hamper. Or that they'd have this kind of attitude or this immaturity or this whatever it is, right? And, which actually, I mean, sometimes it gets really... And some of you right now are... Because none of us marry Mr. or Miss Perfect. There's only been one perfect person ever, right? And that's me, and I'm already married, so... Um, and... Okay, it's Jesus, and he was smart enough to stay single. But, um, <laughs> right, so th- this is going to happen, right? Where in marriage, it's, sometimes it's going to feel like oops. So my word for the day is not actually oops. Here's my word for the day if you, when you feel oops, and that's the word grace. Because grace, God's grace, grace is the thing that turns oops into glory. And um, that's actually good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes things come out and you think, huh, that's, that'll work. Um, but, yeah, grace is the thing that turns oops, any oops, into glory. It can if we open up our life to it. And that means opening up our own life to God's grace. And if, you're, if you feel like you're in an oops period in your marriage, it's easy to focus on the oops of the other person and the problems of the other person. But I, I'm really saying, hey, open up your own life. Be open to what God's grace in your life to changing you. And if you do that, no matter what, you're going to win, no matter what your spouse does, because you'll get more mature, you'll get better. And if we're willing to hold out grace for our spouse, they're much more likely to be open to God's grace for them. 
and how they can change and grow up and mature. And like the Bible says, it is God's kindness that leads to repentance. Grace is, is the most powerful thing to cause people to be open to change. And it doesn't mean you don't have you know, conversations, that you don't speak the truth in love, that you don't, you should. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. In the conference, we'll be talking about that. I mentioned how do you do all that. Uh, but, but the key word is grace. And God's grace is powerful. And it could turn oops into good. That's what God's grace does. So I want us to do something right now if you're, if you are married. And, and this is going to be awkward for some of you. Some of you, it's not going to be awkward at all. You're like, oh, that's sweet, Jeff. Thanks. That was really neat. Some of you are going to be like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I knew I didn't like you, Jeff, you know, and uh, because this could be awkward, but I just I want us all to do it. If you're if you're married and I know I know some of you have kids in between, so this could be awkward, too. But if you're married, I want you to hold each other's hand right now. OK, just reach out and hold their hand. And for some of you, like I said, this is, oh, this is nice. Some of you are breaking each other's knuckles right now, you know, because you're in an oops period. You're in a, and I know, I, I, that's marriage. It has both. And, and I want us to hold hands because I want us to remember the bond that we formed when we did stand up and say, for better, for worse, I do. And um, because it, it made sense at that point, right? And it may still make sense now. And, um, but God is actually involved in that bond. And, and he will help you work through any oops that you may be feeling right now. He really can. And next week we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about, well, what is this commitment and how do we build oneness in marriage and other relationships too? But how do we, how do we do that? And let me encourage you right now, if you're married, we're going to go before God in prayer and just, let's just commit this part of life to God too. Say, God, I don't want just to be about me. I, 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 I'm going to submit this part of my life to you. And I want you to do in my life what you want to do to change me. And I want you to help me give grace and, uh, and, and, and so that my spouse can do the same thing. So let's, let's bow our heads together. And again, whether you're coming from on this, let's just talk to God in prayer. And some of you are single and not interested. And, you know, you, you're going to just want to be single. Well, that's great. The Bible says that's a good choice. And submit your journey as a single person to God. If some of you are single and you want to be married and you're dating or you're hoping to date or meet somebody, just submit that part of your life to God. Some of you are dating someone, and I don't know if they're the right person or not. I don't know if it's healthy or not, but regardless, just submit that part of your life to God. And for those of us who are married, same. Say, God, I... Help me be the kind of husband, be the kind of wife that you want me to be. Change in me what you need to change. And God will, God will do this. Like he, He's involved in this. So, Father, thank you that you love us, that you want us to live connected lives, whether we get married or not. And would you help us to build the kinds of connections that help life flourish? In Jesus' name, amen.